Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Good morning. All right. Uh, I've been waiting for this Sunday for a long time. I have the privilege of introducing our guest preacher this morning, uh, Aaron Hogue. Aaron and I met way back when he was in high school and I was in college at Cumberland and he came and visited campus. I think we stayed a night or two and saw how screwed up me and my roommate really were. I think I'm going to go to school there. So uh, anyway, that's how we met. And uh, he ended up, we ended up being roommates for a year or so. And over the years, uh, I, both of us ended up kind of leading uh, FCA, the huddle over there at Cumberland. And we got to watch God do some amazing things in the lives of people. I've shared some of those stories with you before, but uh, 20 years later, I look back and it still blows me away when I look at the different people God used uh, during that time and how he's still using them today. So Aaron is still full of energy, very active, runs half marathons, while yesterday while I was watering the plants, I pulled a muscle on my back. And I'm not lying, that's a fact, right? I mean, I couldn't move for two hours because I went like this. So uh, I don't run half marathons or anything like he does. But his wife, Kelly, a dear friend, is here with him. His son, Clay, is with him. They have three daughters who didn't make the trip down. Um, Wonderful family. But he was the pastor of Pleasant View Baptist Church in Lincoln County for maybe around five years, the largest church in Lincoln County. Um, He is currently serving as Central Kentucky FCA uh, director and I don't know how many counties is, is that Aaron 17 18 he doesn't know either he just says a lot of counties were and plugged into high school and middle school FCA as well as college uh, works with the UK fellowship of Christian athletes um, is the team chaplain for the I know the football and the baseball teams and maybe several other but most importantly uh, he's my friend a dear friend who I love and have for a long long time and you're gonna be blessed from hearing from him this morning this guy has modeled uh, for years what a humble servant leader looks like, uh, full of integrity, full of character, full of grace. And I am so grateful that you get a chance uh, to hear him this morning, okay? All right. Hey, good morning. I'll pay Kenny later for that, so I appreciate the introduction. And uh, it is an honor to be here. My wife and I made the trip down, so thank you for having us. And uh, I'll tell you real fast, I really don't have a lot to say. I'm not a politician. I don't have really any opinions. But I do feel like God's Word has everything to say, so I won't really share many of my thoughts this morning, but what we are going to do is going to open the Bible, kind of read some verses, and then we're going to kind of explain those verses of maybe what God's speaking to our hearts about. So I'm in the Gospel of John this morning, John chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 15, or if you have an app on your phone, John chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at a few verses in that area, and you can do that while you turn to that. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that we're here today in your sovereignty. Thank you, God, that everyone is here that's supposed to be here. And that, God, that you have not, you have not, not spoken. You have spoken clearly in your word. And we have a Bible to be able to hear from you, to know you, and to be able to uh, have our hearts changed. And, Father, I do pray that over the next few minutes that you would take your word and that you would speak into our hearts And that, Father, that we would be changed by your grace and mercy because we continue to see what it is the gospel is all about. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, not too long ago, I was uh, driving my car down the road and it began to kind of pull hard to to the right. 
And even though I was going straight down the highway, the car wants to turn right. And if I let it go that way, it pulls heavy to the right. So you know what's wrong. You, you have to fight the steering wheel to the left just to keep it straight because the car's wanting to go to the right. And if you know anything about cars, the issue is, is that it's out of alignment. And when your car is out of alignment, not only is it hard to drive, but it can bring some bad consequences to your car if you don't get it corrected. Because the rubber, the tread will eat off the side of the tire. It'll wear your tires out. Your tires out. You'll be buying new tires a whole lot quicker than you wanted. But if you take your car to the shop, they'll actually get it realigned, and your car will drive a whole lot smoother, and it'll cost you less in the long haul. To keep our lives moving in the right direction, to keep our lives, so to speak, aligned, Jesus has spoken and given us words that actually bring clarity, that bring direction. Jesus' words bring encouragement. They ultimately bring life if there's a condition, if we will cling to His words, if we will believe His words, if we'll receive His words and obey His words, our lives will have the proper alignment. And the words that we're looking at from Christ this morning are in John chapter 15. And I'm only going to read a few verses as we go along and we'll kind of explain as we go along. But in John chapter 15, verse 1, it goes like this. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. John, in this gospel, is writing and he's recalling the words of Christ. John is not just recalling the words of Christ. John is actually recalling the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ. And in the Gospel of John, pay close attention, you have 21 chapters. You have 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. However, chapters 1 through 12 take about three years. Chapters 13 through 21 take about one week. Because the point that John's trying to drive into our hearts is the centrality of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. He wants us to know something, and in John chapter 15, which obviously lies between chapter 13 and 21, Jesus is speaking words to his disciples the night before he's betrayed. And up until this point, in John chapter 13, through the rest of the Bible, or in the gospel of John, here's how the conversation has actually happened. It's been a dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. It's been conversation-based. They've had questions, they've answered, Jesus has spoken, and it's been a dialogue. In John chapter 15, it's no longer a dialogue. What begins to happen in John 15 is the hour has come for Jesus to face the cross. So when the hour has come, there's no more a dialogue. It's a monologue. And Jesus just speaks words and says, there's no questions right now. You just listen to what I say because my words have both life and death and there's an urgency behind the words he's about to say. Now here's the key. 
We're sitting here in May 5th, 2019, and there's a temptation for you to sit in that chair thinking, well, that was them and then. But the truth of the matter is, is that these same words in John 15, even though it was spoken to them and then, he speaks them to us and now. And right now, these are the words that Christ is saying to our own hearts. And in this context, no longer a dialogue, it's a monologue. And if we'll listen and obey these words, our lives can have the proper alignment through life. What's the first thing that Christ says? The first thing that I want you to hear and see that Christ says is I want you to see the concern of Christ. The concern of Christ. What is the concern of Christ? Well, we just read it. Jesus says in the very first three verses, he's concerned about something. And he says that he's the true vine and his father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in him that bears no fruit. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. Jesus is giving a gardening illustration here to help Kenny with his plants. No, Jesus is giving a gardening illustration here to help us to understand what our relationship with him should look like. Jesus says that he's the vine and we are the what? Okay, that was not a rhetorical question. So Jesus is the vine and we are the what? We're the branches, okay? And this is what he says. He tells the disciples what's happening and what will happen in their relationship. Listen to this closely. In the first three verses, Jesus gives them no commands to obey. You're off the hook. There's nothing to do here. Jesus gives them no commands to obey. To obey. There's no list to do. But Jesus is concerned, and he is concerned about something. What is he concerned about? He is concerned about their lives bearing fruit, showing that they belong to him. That's his concern. The concern that Jesus has here is that the disciples in our lives, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, that they would bear fruit and look like him. That's the concern of Christ. Why would Jesus be concerned about this? Because ultimately, ultimately, Christianity, Christianity is not just a belief system. Christianity is not just a list of what you believe. It is a belief system, but it doesn't start and stop just with a belief system. Jesus says, just as much as a branch is connected to a vine, there's union there, there's a relationship there. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, it changes everything about your heart and how you live. Jesus will not allow you to come up to the table, so to speak, and to say that you can believe this, but it not change your behavior. Beliefs drive behavior. Beliefs drive behavior. And not only does it just affect behavior, Jesus says that when you're grafted into the gospel, into the kingdom by faith in Christ, it also changes your desires. It changes the affections of your heart. The first thing that you've got to see in this text is the concern of Christ. Christianity is not just believing in the historical person of Christ. James, the book of James also tells us that the demons have a belief system. They have a belief system. We obviously know that they're not saved. Christianity is a belief system, but that changes how you live. 
Ultimately, Jesus is saying this, is that you can't walk through life just making a profession of faith. He is looking ultimately for people that possess the faith. And there's a complete difference between just having professions of faith and being a possessor of the faith. Does that make sense? Are we on the right page here? If not, I'll start over. You want to go back to the whole car illustration alignment? We, all right. So here we go. Christianity, this is what he's saying. Do you know what one of the most amazing things and the most amazing claims about Christianity is? There's no other religion on the planet that, that makes this claim. There's no other religion that makes this claim. And it's this claim. It's the claim that Jesus lives and he lives in me. There's no other claim on the planet that the religion actually says that deity and God lives in us and we have a relationship with him. Jesus makes this claim. We're not just believing about Christ. We share his life. We know him. We trust him. We love him. And the more we do this, the more we want to obey him and bear fruit. Jesus is concerned about the fruit in our lives. In, this verse, in these verses, Jesus actually makes a progression of fruit. You'll see that he actually talks about how we bear fruit, then we bear more fruit, and then we bear much fruit. There should be a progression of growth in your life in fruit. You're constantly looking more like Christ as you grow in your faith. One guy asked me a question one time. He said, uh, you know, the young lady that prayed just a while ago in the, in the set of music, so we praise God that there's no police in here. I think that was kind of the intent of the prayer. But here's a fantastic question. If there would be a police that walked through these doors right now and they were to arrest you for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough fruit in your life to indicate that you belong to Christ? Man, I sure hope so, and I pray by God's grace we would all be convicted of that. What is the concern of Christ? The concern of Christ is that when he says he's the true vine in verse 1, I am the true vine, meaning there are false vines in life that you can attach yourself to. What is your source of life? In the book of Acts 17, it says we in him we move and live and have our being. Paul actually goes on and talks about how, how I've been crucified with Christ and no longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. We're sharing his life together. The concern of Christ is that we not just attach to the right vine, but we're bearing fruit. Branches only do one of two things, you all. Branches only either bear fruit or they don't. We either profess, profess faith or we possess it. Notice also what Jesus says here in verse 3, or verse, at the end of verse 2. He says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. Now, the word prune here actually means that for you all gardeners and have bushes, maybe you cut back or trees, but the word prune actually means to cut back, to take things away so that growth can continue to happen. Do you know one of the greatest temptations that you face in your walk with Christ? One of the greatest temptations that you face in the walk with Christ is that you believe a lie and you believe a myth. And the myth you believe is that you believe that if God is in it, it should be easy. You believe in your heart that if God is in something, then everything should be easy. The reason why that's not true is because the hardest day in the history of the world was the cross of Christ, and God was all over it. So just because things are tough, it could very well be that God's just pruning you and cutting some things back just so that you bear more fruit. Is that true? That's true. 
And so we can't understand, we, what we can't do is associate our trials or our circumstances with the love of God in our lives because it doesn't always equal like that. One of our, our pastors said a great, a great thing not too long ago, and he said this, he said, not all adversity is bad and not all prosperity is good. Man, that's a good word. That's a good word. One pastor said this not too long ago to my face. I was speaking in a meeting. He said, nothing's wrong. It's just hard. Nothing's wrong. It's just hard. And Jesus in here is helping us to understand what is happening in our relationship with Christ and what's going to happen. John Piper says this, that God is doing 10,000 things in all of our lives all at the same time. And we might only be aware of two or three of them. You know, one of the most amazing things about this, you all, is that if you look at the end of verse 2 and it says that he prunes every branch that bears fruit so it'll be more fruitful, one of the most amazing radical thoughts right now is the fact that in the middle of Whitley City, Kentucky, in the United States, the greatest idea is that God is concerned about a 5'11 guy and he's actively involved in my life. That's one of the most amazing thoughts that God is actively concerned and that he that began a good work in you will see it to completion. He's pruning away. So what is, how should we respond to this? Ultimately, there should be a weightiness of these texts and these verses in your heart. There is a warning here. There's an encouragement here. But ultimately, there needs to be a concern in your life and the concern in your life is bearing fruit and demonstrating a life that reflects Christ. Ultimately, this coming week, your main concern should not be should you just have a good week and so it would everything just go the way that you planned this week. But ultimately, your concern this week needs to be am I demonstrating a life that looks like I belong to Christ? Christ's ultimate concern needs to become your ultimate concern. The first thing we notice here in the text is the concern of Christ. The second thing that we notice in these verses is the call of Christ. We see the concern of Christ. Now we're moving to number two, the call of Christ. Look at verse four. Verse four says, um, I'm sorry, yeah, verse four says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. In these, in these verses 4 through 8, we see the call of Christ. What is the call of Christ? The call of Christ is for us to remain or to abide. I want to share something with you real briefly. In John chapter 13 through 17, you've got about four or five chapters here where Jesus gives them a ton of information. Do you know what Jesus talks about the disciples about? He talks to them about the Holy Spirit. He talks to them about eternity. 
He talks to him about trials and peace. He talks to him about what's going to happen to his own death, his own resurrection. Do you know what all this means here? Ultimately, what all this means is that there's a ton of information coming from Jesus to the disciples. Then do you know what he does in four or five chapters? He only gives them one thing to obey. One thing to obey. And that one thing to obey is to abide in him, to remain in him. He doesn't give them a list to do. He gives them one thing to do, and that is to abide in him. It's overwhelming, all this information, but he gives them one thing. In the first three verses, there's no commands. It's different now. In 10 times, listen to this, in 10 times in 12 verses, Jesus uses the word abide. 10 times in 12 verses, Jesus uses the word abide. What does it mean to abide or to remain in Christ? It means that you make permanent your dwelling place. In other words, you don't visit. You, you, you don't vacate there. You, you don't just visit there. You live there. Jesus is drawing a line between what is temporary and where you dwell. You continue. Guess what? In your walk with Christ, in your pursuit of Him, there's no plan B. There's no plan B when you're looking at a relationship with God through faith in Christ other than the plan to abide in Him and to dwell in Him. Not only is there no plan B, you'll never graduate from this. You never move on from this. You, not only do you never graduate upon abiding in Christ, Guys, it will never change, and you can never improve on this. You can never improve on abiding in Christ. So therefore, what that means is Christianity is not about a bunch of experiences. Christianity is about professing faith in Him, following Him, and then staying right there. That's what it means to abide or to dwell. When you first confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you stay there and you continue to do that over the rest of your life. That's what it means to abide or dwell. It's not about chasing experiences, but it's about hearing his words and obeying his words and remaining in that. I love what Russell Moore says, a guy that wrote a book. He said, in Acts chapter 2, if you know your Bible, that's the day of Pentecost. And that's the day that Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, sent the Holy Spirit from heaven onto his church. And he says, on that day, there were manifestations of fire. Languages were being spoken by people who didn't know them. And thousands upon unbelievers came to faith in the resurrected Messiah. Yet the passage in Acts chapter 2, it ends in an unexpected, just a simple way. It says at the end of Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Russell Moore says, it's kind of weird in Acts chapter 2 when you have fire and people speaking in different languages and then all of a sudden all these converts and then you have this simplicity of scriptures where it says the early Christians devoted themselves to God's word and to prayer and to fellowship. Russell Moore says, I believe one thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to understand from this is that these ordinary things are not less spectacular than what preceded them. In fact, they may be so more. The disciplines of discipleship, fellowship, and community and prayer are signs of abiding in Christ. 
The most crucial moments in our walk with Christ don't happen in the spiritual highs. They happen in the common hum of just everyday life in quiet, faithful obedience to Christ. So the call of the disciples and the call for me and you is to make Jesus Christ our aim in life. You have the concern of Christ, which is bearing fruit, but the call of Christ is to abide in him. So this is where it gets tricky. If it's true that Jesus Christ's call is for us to abide in him, then guess what our aim in life is not supposed to be? Our aim in life, our goal in life, our purpose in life is not to bear fruit. Your goal and your aim in life is not to bear fruit. The command of Christ is to remain in Him. It, that's the ultimate aim. The aim in life is to abide or to remain, not to bear fruit. The call of Christ was for us to abide and to remain in Him. Now, this needs to be your aim, not bearing fruit. Don't make bearing fruit your goal in life because when you do that, ultimately what all you're doing is bypassing Jesus and trying to act like you're a good person. Jesus says, no, that's not the point. The point of it is, is you, you abide in me and you make that the ultimate aim. I'll produce the fruit in your life. Do you know why that's the ultimate aim? It's because no one in this room has enough sufficiency within in and of themselves to just to make that happen. Nobody in this room is a factor. You can't produce anything. It's Christ that does this. Every time in life that you try to bear fruit apart from abiding in Christ, this is what you look like. It would be the same thing as me going to Kroger and buying some roses and coming home and taking some roses and stapling them to a bush in my front yard and my wife pulls up and I say, hey, look, honey, I got us a rose bush. And she would look at that bush and she would see roses on it and I have a stapler out there and I'm stapling roses to a bush and I'm calling it a rose bush. My wife would look at me and say, man, my husband has lost his mind. He is stapling roses to a, a bush and he's calling it a rose bush. That's exactly what you and I look like every single time when we try to act good and be a good moral person but we want to bypass Jesus in the process. Jesus says you have one command and that's to abide in me and he's the one who produces the fruit. Don't get caught looking moral, but get caught abiding in Christ. The fruit will come. Do you see that? Do you see the concern of Christ? The concern of Christ is that we bear fruit, but the call of Christ is for us to abide in him. Jesus talks about this over and over again. Corey Tien Boone said, Is Jesus Christ your steering wheel, or is he your spare tire? Abiding in Christ may perhaps be the most productive thing you'll do this entire week. The first thing I wanted to see in this to keep our lives aligned is to see the concern of Christ. The second is to see the command of Christ or the call of Christ. And the third is to see the pattern of Christ. Look in verse 9. In verse 9, Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no end than this 
than to lay one's life down for his friends. In this text here, as we wrap up, the last thing you see here Jesus talking about is his pattern. And he's ultimately saying that Jesus' perfect obedience to the Father and his pattern of obedience to him is the same thing that needs to be the pattern of our lives. There's a standard here. The pattern of Christ, meaning that Christ has called us to love others, but he does this on the basis of how he has loved us. So there's a standard, and it's a standard of love. What Jesus is saying is, is as I have loved you, then you go therefore and love others. This is the standard. The standard in which you love others is the way in which I have loved you. The pattern in which Christ has obeyed God is the same pattern that we need to be in receiving into our lives. The same standard that way Christ has loved us is the standard in which we love others. You know, one of the most fascinating things, I'm around athletics all my life, and I know several of you guys probably play baseball, but one of the most amazing things that you probably already know this or seen this, but it's really, it's really amazing to think that in baseball, home plate measures the same no matter if you play t-ball, minor league, coach pitch, Babe Ruth, high school, minors in the pros, AAA, major league. You can play every division of baseball and home plate is the same measurement no matter what division of baseball you play. You know why? Because the standard is the same. It's either a ball or it's a strike. Home plate does not change. Jesus is saying here, my standard in which you love others will never change. And you're called to love other people the way that I have loved you. That's the pattern in our lives. If you look at this text, what's really awesome about this text is that he first talks about fruit, then he talks about abiding, and guess what the very first fruit of the Holy Spirit is in Galatians? The fruit of the Spirit is Love, joy, peace, patience, and he goes on. What was the first one listed? It's love. And this is what Jesus says. One of the first demonstrations of the fruit of the Holy Spirit producing himself in your life is love. He goes from bearing fruit into abiding in him, and what comes out? It's love. And it's an unconditional love. It's a love not based on circumstances, and it's a love not based on what other people can do for you or what they can't do for you. This is not transactional love here. This is not you do for me what I do for you. This is unconditional love. This is transform, transformational kind of a love. One of the holidays in which we uh, have a tendency in our worldly culture to celebrate love is obviously Valentine's Day. And this, five, this past Valentine's Day, I was uh, sitting in a Kroger parking lot getting ready to walk into Kroger, like most men on that day, scrambling, trying to find a card or a couple of flowers to give away so that you don't get into the doghouse when you come home. And I was out there in that Kroger parking lot, and I looked at all these men. I mean, it was hilarious. Every single person that walked out of Kroger was a, was a, man, or some, a man of some age carrying flowers and balloons. Everybody's walking out, you know. And I'm sitting there, I'm, like, I'm getting ready to walk in and be one of those guys. And so we go in there, and I go into the flower section, into the balloon section, and they had right there at the middle of Kroger, when you walk right in, it was crowded, man. It was Valentine's about 4.30 or 5 in the evening, and man, there was th it was thick in there of men trying to find something. I'm looking around, and I found my flowers, and I found my balloons, and I'm kind of over here in this corner, 
and the doors open at Kroger, you know, the doors that go back and forth, and these doors barge open, and I see a man walk in, and I see a man walk in with his elderly wife. I'm not sure exactly, can't recall exactly what her name was, but I think it was Martha. And when he walks in, he needs to go left to the vegetable section in the produce, and she goes right. And I saw him pushing a cart, and I saw him holler at her, hey, Martha, Martha, over here, over here. And you could tell by the way that she acted and responded to him that there was something going on there. I don't know if it was dementia or Alzheimer's or something, but something wasn't right. And he was trying to tell her, and sure enough, she looked and she came and she followed him just like a little child. And she went right over to him. She clung to his shopping cart. And I saw him. And I had this thought. I'm sitting right there. I'm thinking, man, the world tells us what love is. It's about, you know, getting candy and getting flowers and getting, you know, getting your stuff together and this is what the world's definition of love is, but I'm watching this man. I'm watching this man unconditionally love his bride when she couldn't do anything back for him. And I'm sitting there watching this, and I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in the thicket of a lot of men, man, trying to pick out flowers and cards, and man, I, I'm, I'm just captivated by this man. And I'm sitting there, and I felt like, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, man, you need to go say something to him. And man, I was like, man, I don't know if that was just my gut or God, are you sure that's you, you know, and I'm trying to debate that. And so I walk over and I follow him. I mean, I'm stalking this dude through the grocery and I finally find him a little bit, a few hours down and I try to go beyond him so that when I come back, I'm kind of like running into him, not following from behind. And when I walk up to him and his wife is clinging right there and you can tell this is exactly what's been going on. I look at him and I tap him on the shoulder. I said, excuse me, sir. And when I, when I said that, it's like a flood of emotion. I couldn't open my mouth. I couldn't speak. I couldn't talk because I knew what was going on. And all I could do was look at this man and I just said, uh, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. And he looked at me and he knew exactly what I was talking about. I think he was a believer. And he looked at me and he said this. He said, this is what it's all about, young man. This is what it's all about. And I thought, man, wasn't a crazy, the world's definition of love doesn't look like this man's definition of love on this day. But it's that same type of love that Christ has done for us. He's loved, he loves us on our worst days. And you know what's amazing is that Jesus Christ has never turned anybody away. If you come to him in faith, there's never been one person that Jesus says no to. There's never been one person where he denies and Jesus Christ loves us as much today as he does on our worst days. There's nothing you could ever do with your life to earn his love. You can't earn it. He gives it freely by grace. And Jesus says, this is my pattern. And this will get into your heart. It will change you and it'll, it'll, it'll change the way you live your life. This is about living a life that's properly aligned. You, you, you hear and you see the concern of Christ but you also hear and receive the call of Christ. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all figured out. Jesus will never, he'll never do that, but he'll give you enough to take the next step. So the question is, is that are you ultimately hearing the voice of Christ just say, abide in me, just remain in me, love me? I promise you this, you, you, can, you, can, you can fail at a lot of things in life, 
You can fail your test this week. You can strike out four times in your game. You can lose your job. You can get fired. You can ultimately die. But if you have Jesus, you win. And this is, what, this is a game changer. And so I, I really don't care about what you've done and where you've been. But when we put faith in Christ and we receive his love, this is what Jesus says. I say these things to you so that my joy will be in yours and your joy will be complete. The whole key in all of this is verse 7. Verse 7 is the key to the whole text, the first 13 verses. And verse 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My words remain in you. So as you get ready to go into a week, let me ask you, is your ultimate concern this week going to be just trying to make sure your days go the way you planned them? Or is your ultimate concern going to be Jesus' ultimate concern? Because according to Jesus here, the most productive choice that you and I can make this week is to abide in Him. And that's what He says in His kingdom. That's what productivity looks like, is abiding in Christ.